Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you entrust us with children, eternal souls made in your image for your glory. Our prayer is that you would help us raise our children to be families that are united in this life in a way that we can be united in eternity around your throne. Through Christ I pray, amen. Somebody said that losing our children may be the most significant loss of all. You know, when Christian parents hold a newborn in their arms, there's the sense of overwhelming joy wrapped in overwhelming responsibility. All of a sudden, there's the sense of new life brings new hope. And then there's also this sense of this is an eternal soul that will never not exist again. And this soul has been entrusted to our family. That responsibility can be overwhelming. Lord, help us to raise our children to love the Lord with all their heart and soul and mind and strength. But the statistics on raising godly children these days are alarming. Something in the church and in Christian families isn't working. We have to be honest. 70% of believers come to Christ as minors. That's okay. But less than 50% of children raised in churches in recent generations embrace faith in Jesus by the time they graduate high school. Less than 50% of kids growing up in church give their lives to Christ. 89% of those leaving active faith as adults had a weak faith experience in the home. Weak teaching, weak example from parents. Today, the younger generation is abandoning the faith in, uh, uh, in, in, in a way that like we've not seen in a long time. 66% of adults who attended church in their teens drop out and most never return. Something isn't working in the way that we're discipling our children. According to Pew Research, religious nuns have almost quadrupled since 2007. Currently, 30% of American adults identify as non-religious. The bottom line is that we've been discipling our children in a way in the last 30 years that is not working. You know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different results. For the last 30 years, um, how many times have we seen the stories and we've heard the complaints? Our, 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 our kids are graduating from high school, going to college and dropping out, graduating from high school, and they're dropping out of church. And yet, what have churches done? They've doubled down on the way that they've continued to do children's ministry and youth ministry. For far too many years, churches, I think, have tried to sell parents on this uh, notion that if they just bring their kids to church, the church will disciple their children. The idea is bring your kids to Sunday school, bring your kids to youth group, bring your kids to all the youth group activities, and we will help your children love Jesus. Um, you know, there's that, 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 that belief out there that says it takes a village to raise a child. And the thing is, in previous generations, when there was a more biblical 
uh, culture that we were living in, when the biblical beliefs were cultural beliefs, there was a way for churches and families to work in this way that was more relaxed, but that's not the case anymore. You know, if the village is pagan, if the village raising our children hates biblical truth, is pulling people, is teaching unbiblical doctrines to our kids, something has to change in our approach. One result is that parents have seen themselves as consumers in the church. A lot of parents have taken the attitude, well, if the church is going to raise, help my kids to be spiritual, so I just need to find the best student ministry, children's ministry, then my kids will love Jesus. I remember, though, even when I was in college, how fallacious that was. I remember when I was in college, there were some really well-known big churches with big youth groups and and well-known youth group leaders, you know, the youth ministers that spoke at all the big youth conventions. And then I would get to know the kids from those youth groups that came to Bible college and realize these kids are biblically illiterate. Here these kids are going to the most impressive big churches with big church names and big church ministers and, and you know, youth ministers, and yet they don't know the Bible. And their spiritual depth was about as, as, as deep as a thimble. It's never, it's never been the case that if you can just find the the, the glitziest, the biggest, the, uh, the youth ministry that offers the most stuff that your kids are going to know Christ and love the Lord with all their heart. American parents have fallen into this consumer mindset mentality too often where the idea is we pay our taxes to educate our kids so the state will and we pay our tithes and offerings so the church will train our kids spiritually. No one ever says it explicitly but the church has unconsciously communicated, parents, we can do it. You can help. Just give us your kids. We'll have a big program. And your kids will be spiritual and love the Lord. And it isn't working. We're losing our kids. The second problem is that parents have unconscious conscious goals for their children that work against following Christ. Most parents have two high priorities for their children. They want their children to be happy and they want their children to fit in. Two things that really matter to parents is for their kids to be happy and for their kids to fit in. That's why bullying has become, was, was become such a big deal in the last 20 years. It's kind of like, oh, like the worst thing is that my kid not feel like he fit in. But when those goals drive the actions of Christian parents, you realize we are actually nurturing our kids not to follow Jesus. See, Jesus is clear. If you follow him, there are two things that are going to be guaranteed for you in life. You're not always going to be happy and you're not always going to fit in. You're not always going to be happy because Jesus is more concerned with your holiness than your happiness. Joy is a result of peace with God and holiness and character, not a result of trying to be happy. And if you follow Jesus, people aren't going to accept you. Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. 
for this is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Oh, if being happy and fitting in is the primary objective of Christian parents, it's completely the opposite of what Jesus says in the Beatitudes when he says, no, no, blessed are you when you aren't happy because people reject you, when you don't fit in because you follow Jesus. But what happens? Kids grow up in Christian homes that have made their happiness and fitting in the two most important things. And then they go to college and they discover, you know, there are two things that happen now that I follow Jesus in college. I don't fit in and other kids seem to be more happy. I mean, they're just kind of living however they want. They're not following those strict moral standards that I do. And there are lots of articles in the paper that you can read every day ridiculing Christians for being pure, you know. Um, And following Jesus doesn't make them fit in. So what do they do? They drop out of their faith. We got to be brutally honest. The way that churches in America has been doing ministry with our kids and families has not been working. So a new life... Uh, It's only taken us 30 years to pick up on this, but we're trying to learn and we're trying to be wise and we're trying to make some adjustments. Some adjustments that you can expect to see. First, as a church, we said already, we are going to focus more on making disciples who make disciples. We're going to focus less on meeting felt needs so that people eventually will understand what their real needs are. Yeah, we still want to meet needs. Absolutely. We want to serve people and love people and be good hosts. But we are committed to calling people to be followers of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. That's the call of Christ. We talked about that a bit last time. Second, though, we are committed to fostering a Deuteronomy 6 approach to discipleship, family-empowered discipleship. Deuteronomy 6 says this. Listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. So the people of Israel are about to enter the promised land, and and God wants them to be strong spiritually. And so how is he going to—what's the the foundation for their spiritual strength— Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be on your heart. So it begins with you, parents. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. You hear what God is saying there. God is saying the responsibility of discipling children is not with the state ever. It's not with the church. It is squarely on the shoulders of the parents. Parents, the most effective way for you to teach your children, for your children to love the Lord your God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength is for you to disciple them in the daily events of the home as you walk and live with them every day. In addition, the most effective way to reach our children to love God is going to be focused home discipleship. As the church says to families, you can do it, we can help. 
in the book Handing Down the Faith, How Parents Pass Their Faith to the Next Generation, the writer notes, the strongest association to long-term faith transference is with parents regularly talking with their children about religious matters as part of an ordinary life. All the research takes us back to Deuteronomy 6. Isn't that funny? How after we mess up and we're saying, why isn't it working? Researchers look at it and say, huh, you know what we're discovering? The Old Testament, God was right all along. Who would have thought? They continue in the book. They say, parents who have a warm and kind relationship with their children were more likely than others to transmit similar levels of religious belief. A couple of sides. First of all, this is true for me. I learned so much about Christ, about the Bible, by listening to my parents and grandparents, by sitting in church services or week-long revival services or Wednesday night Bible study services and listening to the adults. I have very strong memories, strong impressions of those moments. I can tell you things that I learned. I, can, I remember that when, one Wednesday night Bible study, there were probably, I don't know, 50 adults there, and they were just reading through the Old Testament and talking through, and they're talking about Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And I remember thinking, what strange names. I've never heard those names before. But I learned that because I was a kid. I was probably in grade school, sitting there listening to the adults talk about the Bible. Second aside, you, you can't, the, the, the core of this challenge, though, is you have to transmit similar levels of religious belief. Jesus one time said, no student is ever above the teacher. But when a student is fully trained, he will be just like his teacher. The key here, and I think the one thing that probably scares a lot of Christian parents is um, for us to be able to convey to our children loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, we first of all have to live it. We have to be able to share it because we first are reading the Bible on our own, are praying every day, are growing in our relationship with God. And so it's just natural for us to share what God's doing in our own lives. So the challenge of family discipleship is to keep parents on their toes. It forces us to take our relationship with Christ seriously, to lead by example of serving and tithing in our language and everything else. So here's the deal. Since the 1980s, at least, youth ministries have said to parents, we can do it, you can help. You know, come give your kids to us. We'll take care of them. You can come volunteer from time to time. Today, we're committing to saying, no, no, no. Parents, you can do it. We can help. Let's move forward together. Now, what's that going to look like? Let, let me just stop right there and um, let us chew on this for a while. I'll pick it up here next time in our devotional time. But the challenge for us is to love the Lord your God. This is the Shema. With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, and then pass that on to your children Pass that on to anybody who's around you every day in the normal warp and woof of the home. Heavenly Father, would you make us your people? Would you make us your church? Lord, as we are trying to make some adjustments 
we know it's going to be um, uncomfortable. It's going to be some fits and starts. But Lord, we ask, we trust that you will give fruitfulness because we're just trying to follow your word. And you were really clear in Deuteronomy. This is the way to convey the faith. This is the way to pass on what is most important. And, and we want to do that. But Lord, it's for your glory. And so it has to be by your leadership and your will. So would you lead us as your good shepherd, as, as the good shepherd? Through Christ, we pray these things. Amen. I've given you a bunch to think about today. Hope you'll think about it and pray about what's it mean for you in your home to pass on your faith to your children.